the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Recovered from Purim and all yeah, your celebration. Why I recovered so well because you didn't drink at all. Because I didn't celebrate it at all. <laughs> it's easy recovery. I found a great Instagram uh, feed called Ugly Humintashin, <laughs> which is essentially about like all the bad things you know that go wrong <laughs> when you bake humintashin. Like, have you ever tried the nailed it recipes and they just come out looking completely differently than what you see on the screen? That's exactly what this is. That's pretty funny. I mean, an entire Instagram feed devoted to ugly hamadashin. It's what so do they demoralizing. Do the rest of the year? Exactly. It's so demoralizing as well because it's just a three-corner cookie. How hard can that possibly be? A lot of proper pinching involved. You get the cherry filling is spilling out all over the place, guts and all. Cherry? It's not apple pie. This isn't pie. What's your favorite filling? I t you told me that apple pie was a great hamantash, and I was thrilled by that. I went on that for like a week. That is, it's excellent. Oh yeah. my God. It's really good. Yeah, I had pistachio raspberry hamantash in this week, this year, and I didn't make it, but I had it, and uh, key lime pie, I think. And then Ooh. chocolate caramel. I got, I was throwing some good flavors. Key lime pie. You're just making it solely as a dessert. It is a dessert. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I always think of it as like a midday snack. Uh, well, dessert and some those are not mutually exclusive things. Did you hear this thing about the hummantash and represents the vagina? Did <laughs> not expecting that. Sorry. I thought you were going to go into like a hummantash. Did you hear that a hummantash and walked into a bar? <laughs> <laughs> Amitajan walked into a vagina. <laughs> okay. And then well, realized they had a lot in common. <laughs> One second. Let me hear this. Okay. How does a Hamantashan represent a vagina? Is there was a, whole... a sexual holiday that I've been... Actually, it's a pretty sexual holiday. There was a, a whole conversation of, a about it. A lot of sexual it. scandal that, that goes on. There was this whole thing on uh, Hey Alma. It was an article. It's over a year old talking about how it has this roots in fertility and that the poppy seed was meant to be the seed, right? Uh, and the vagina is the vagina. And so in that way, it's a fertility item uh, and how some of the story got subverted by the rabbis who didn't want to focus on uh, Esther Avasti's sexuality, but wanted to kind of talk about the heroism of the Jewish people overcoming Haman and his message, which is why we eat the hamantashen. Uh, I don't know how much credibility there is to it, but I thought that was really fascinating. I think it's cool because the going story that I've always heard is that it's Haman's hat which is so ridiculous. Yeah. Why do we eat his hat? I'm, I'm all in for the vagina. That's fantastic. And maybe it's a woman's empowerment thing and not necessarily sexuality, but like really the story is about women and, and femininity. They talk about that a lot in the article. If I can find it, I'll share it with you. But it was just, it was mind blowing. Well, you've just changed perm for me. I appreciate, I'm glad. I'm glad I did. It's not only about drinking now. Now you have something else to focus on. Now it's about drinking and sex. Right, drinking. <laughs> well, what else really is there when you're single? You know what else there is when you're divorced other than drinking and sex? Grief. What? There's grief. grief too. Let's take a hard right turn, everyone. There is, <laughs> let's be honest. When a divorce occurs, there's also a death that occurs. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. People say I get that way sometimes. 
but it's not. It, uh, I'm not being dramatic. There's a grief. You have to you have to accept the fact at some point that something has died. Yeah, I think when when any relationship ends, there's a level of death, and then when a marriage ends, it's um, it's a little bit more in depth, intense, more commitment oriented to some degree, and there's a lot of things that have died in that process. So I think that looking at it from that way as the grief that comes along with death um, is important. And I think it's even important for people who celebrate the divorce and that it's, it's a, it's an exciting new, a lot of people are just so happy to shed that past life and have to have made the decision and move on. And some people are stuck in the grief, but wherever you are in that spectrum, I do think it's healthy to acknowledge what has died if not only to make way for what can now spring forth, what can come alive. I think that celebration that you're talking about is that stage of acceptance. You know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about the five stages of grief. She talks about, what is it? I wrote it down. She well, has, acceptance is the last stage. It's, it's the, the last stage, but, but, your point, but yeah. to your point, right, that celebration acknowledges that you've reached a stage. Because if you can I, say- I would argue with you. I don't think celebration is acceptance. I think okay, so, that's so, a different so, level. Okay, that's okay, fine. So let's get to the other stages and then we'll challenge your theory. Okay. okay. So there's five stages as far as they know. And, and I don't know that they always go in this order. Don't you go back and forth, right? It's not like you move from one cleanly to the other and then you're clear of that previous stage. Can't you go, I think you go back and forth in it, 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 it because everyone goes through grief on their own timeline. That's the other thing is that like, for other people, they move on, they go through it really quickly, and then they're okay. But for other people, they get stuck in it. And, and that's okay, too. You have to know that you go through in your own time, which might be maddening from a perspective of the couple, like an ex might be really upset that their partner, right, has moved so quickly through the stages of grief, and they're so stuck in there. Um, but that's just the way it works. You're, you're both two different people. But the, the five stages are denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance all those have really been clear to me. Like bargaining was the weirdest one of all, to be honest. Like that one was the most confusing fun for me to understand just in terms of a theory. Did you find that you did or did not bargain? And what does bargaining mean to you? Yeah. So while I think all the other ones are pretty clear, let's just state them out, right? Denial is that this didn't happen, right? I'm not accepting this, right? You don't, you don't have the emotional set to really engage with it. Uh, anger is, of course, a masking. Or, wait, 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 wait. Let's get past that. Denial doesn't Sorry. have to be a rejection of the, the divorce. It can be denial of these feelings of grief. Yes. I'm fine. Yes. yes. It's okay. I, I don't want to gloss over that. It's also not just a river in Egypt. Denial. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes. A denial of the emotions. Yeah. Denial of the emotions. Because then comes anger, right? Isn't anger what happens when you deny the other emotions? Isn't anger? Say more about that. Well, because anger is a masking emotion. There's lots of other things that go on underneath it, right? There's sadness, mm -hmm. right, of what's happened. And the only thing you can think to do is be angry because you think it'll be easier to deal with that than it will be the sadness. Okay. So the anger erupts. So we, we deny or bury these emotions, then the anger builds on top of that, it's scaffolds. Right, and then because anger is so kind of overwhelming and disempowering and sometimes then comes in depression, right? Like there's just sadness about it, this not wanting to do anything, this total disengagement with life and social things and 
just kind of wanting to give up, thinking you'd be better off dead. Okay, so these are scary stages. These are scary stages. Let's just acknowledge that. These could be really scary moments for people, that death just kind of cycles through us in that way. And, and then there's bargaining, right? And as far as I know, bargaining is all about like, had I done this, this wouldn't have happened, right? Like, had I been a better person, this person would still be alive. Or had I done X in this marriage, had I gotten her the flowers that time, or had I been a little bit nicer or spent less time at the office, whatever it was, then things would be a lot more different in my life right now. We wouldn't be in this scenario. You go through all the mistakes that you made thinking that you could have done something differently about them. I think that bargaining comes before depression. Does it? I believe so. But like I said, I don't know if it's exactly entirely linear. Yeah, bargaining right. comes before depression. I see. Okay. And there remains the question of it being entirely linear. Because I don't certainly... think it's entirely linear, but I do think it's a general progression right. through these stages. Okay. Right. So bargaining potentially comes before depression. I, I, bargaining to me makes sense coming on the heels of anger because anger is an energy. And so bargaining is an action then. So you have this energy, you're angry, and then you're going to try to figure out what, what am I going to do now? Like, who, who am I bargaining with? Am I bargaining with myself? Am I bargaining with my yeah. spouse? Am I bargaining with God? Like, what, yeah. what am I doing with all of this energy? Mm. And then it kind of makes sense to go into, if it doesn't, oh. work, you're not seeing the results that you want to see. If, if, you know, if the divorce isn't progressing, if you're not happy with your life, then it just kind of falls away. And then you're left with the depression of shit. <laughs> That makes a lot more sense. Like you've actually started thinking about it, right? Bargaining is the thought process involved when you're going through these grief stages. I like that. Okay. That makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. And so then after you get through, I guess after you get through after the depression, the haze of knowing that you can't bargain your way out of this, maybe then comes the acceptance. Then you're just kind of like, this is what I have. Yeah. This is what it is. That's not celebration in some way? That's not a little celebration? Or is that just like, is celebration acceptance on steroids? I just, thinking about it, I, I realize it's like kind of like a, a sandwich. <laughs> I've never looked at it that way. Of like, Ooh. you have denial on one end and acceptance on the other end. Those are the two opposites. No, so you're I'm starting hungry. from. <laughs> well, you weren't even getting hungry with the hamitation? No, I <laughs> only really wet my whistle. Now I'm really hungry. You started talking about sandwiches. Um, so you got denial on one end and, and acceptance on the other end, which is the two opposite extremes. And then you have anger and depression kind of balancing each other out. And in the middle is the bargaining. Oh, wow. I don't know what that means, but I never looked at it from that way, kind of as this balance scale. A big bargaining sandwich. Yeah. Hmm. Take a bite and, out And isn't that. that what this all is about? Is the bargaining to me is actually trying to figure out a balance. Okay. Like I'll give this, you give that. And, um, in life with ourselves, there's some degree of bargaining that happens and in divorce, there's some degree of bargaining that has to happen of how are we gonna divide these assets? How are we gonna parent our children? How are we gonna go on with our lives? How are we going to figure out this, a new relationship? How are we gonna let go and completely walk away from each other? I'm, I'm grooving on that. I mean, I, I, you're right. It does feel like everything is kind of balanced out there by bargaining. Like it, fe like it contains those elements of denial and acceptance in that, you know, you're still kind of like, man, I, I'm actually bargaining it, which means that I'm denying something about it, right? There's no sense in bargaining it. 
because what's happened has happened. You can't change that. So there's an element of denial in there to think that like you could actually do something about it or you could have done something about it. But then the fact that you're talking about the fact that the person is dead within some form of real context of things, you know, and re recognizing that life, life can be different in some way afterwards, like I can do things differently, right? Mm -hmm. There is that opportunity to do things differently. That sounds like a stage of acceptance as well. I, I, that's brilliant. To that's me, the a, bargaining is the yeah. flip of the switch, right? Because yeah. like you said, the anger is really covering up the sadness. So once you get to the bargaining, it flips the switch to get to the real stuff. Okay. I'm going to really sit in the, in the sadness and move away from the anger. The anger is, you're right. It's this refusal to acknowledge. And it's going to, I have this surface level um, emotions that I'm emoting and projecting outwards. You get to bargaining and you start to realize your own responsibility in the process. Then you can really acknowledge the loss, the depression, the sadness, the void. And then you get to acceptance. The bargaining is actually the key piece in that. Yeah, it really does sound like it. Like if you can get over the bargaining mountain, right, or get on to bargain mountain, then you're headed in the right direction. You're starting right? to make some real forward movement there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow. I was, that's really good. Thanks. And these are all like, these definitely occur. I mean, these are, I think Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stated that these aren't only for death, right? They're, or, you know, like a physical death, but Therefore, the death and loss of a lot of things. It can happen when it comes to a job, right? You can reframe any number of one of these stages and the language is used to, to talk about the job, right? The, the anger and divorce can be, man, I wish that person had never died. What an asshole for leaving me around, right? That was so terrible of them. The anger and divorce? Sorry, the anger and death, yes. excuse okay. me. But that, but that can easily be transferred to divorce, which is I'm so pissed at them for divorcing me, right? What's wrong with them? That sort of thing. And when it comes to a job loss, it could be they're fucking idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They, you know, they fired me and, and they're going to be worse off. Um, like all those things, you can just transfer them easily onto whatever the loss is. The interesting thing, though, that I found is that the rituals, right, for how we acknowledge divorce and process through it are very different from when that happens to an actual death. I mean, we've got that up the wazoo. We've touched on that a little bit, that when someone dies in the Jewish tradition, there are any number of rituals that go on and labels that also help us process the experience. When you first, when some, for someone first dies, the person who's remaining, the loved one is known as an onen. And the only responsibility they're given is to take care of what's needed for the funeral, right? You can't put any additional burden on them because they're supposed to be distraught and they're just supposed to live and be in that moment. And then once the burial occurs, right, then you're becoming an avel, you're a mourner, and you take on a whole other set of rituals as well. You no know, shaving, and you cover mirrors and things like that when you're in mourning, and you, you attend a shiva service, um, you know. And, and in that, there are the rituals of the community that they part participated in. They know that their responsibilities and rituals that they participated in as a community is to go to the funeral and to comfort mourners and to attend the shiva and to send stories. And we talked about when someone dies and even when someone gives birth in those two instances, your fridge is usually filled with food, right? People are just rushing to take care of you. And there's more of the process to it as well. There's a whole year long process to mourning within the Jewish tradition, but there's very little when it comes to divorce and the community isn't so around. There are very little communal rituals too that say, these are your obligations when someone else gets divorced, right? How does the community respond to it in that way? Um, and so there's this real incongruence while the stages of divorce or stages of death 
might transfer easily onto any other form of life and loss, that is, the rituals that go along with death don't transfer easily onto other stages of loss that we've occurred in our life. There is ritual in, in a divorce. There is process. I don't deny that. There is process. What I'm suggesting is that there aren't enough rituals about it, that there aren't enough rituals to attend to the more grief. ritual? Yes, I do, actually. You know, you could do a search. There are plenty of rituals for when someone dies. You know, you cook their favorite meal or you go to the favorite spot that you once celebrated with them or you listen to the song or you write them a letter, right? Or you light a candle, right? Um, we're big on lighting candles in the Jewish tradition. We have services throughout the year on major festivals and holidays. You can go and mourn the loss during the Yisker service, right? And we have the anniversary of the day. I am gonna, I think it's, there is ritual and I think the, the whole get process is very ritualistic and it actually creates a ton of problems because it's so rich ritualistic. But I think that the fact that we don't light a candle and we don't commemorate and we don't like sit in this death is because there's this acknowledgement that it's not about the death, that there is a, you're supposed to say mazel tov when someone gets divorced. It's actually a, a celebration. And while there's that's element. news to me. Nobody ever said mazel tov to me when I got divorced. Well, let me be the first, Noam. Thank you. Mazel I appreciate that. Mazel tov, you're divorced. That's <laughs> going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> the five stages of mazel tov, you're divorced. The five stages of grief. <laughs> I think there are elements of loss and grief that we should acknowledge. I don't know if we should turn it into ritual. Then no, it becomes an overpowering sense of grief and loss. I don't think it needs to be a constant ritual. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. Death is one thing. And, and part of the reason why you can't transfer them over is because nobody wants to go to the same space you used to go with your former partner. Right? That would be ridiculous. That would just be re-traumatizing yourself. Nobody wants to do that. That's not what we're talking about. When it comes to you know, someone physically dying, going to those moments and those spaces helps us hold on to those memories and the good feelings that we've had. But when it comes to divorce, it's kind of up to us to let that stuff go to say at one point those were good memories, but now I'm moving on. So you can't do those same things. But what I think you can do is the rituals that help you accept what's gone on and then celebrate it like you're saying, right? That mazel tov element of it should come into our lives, but there's very few things that actually give us the opportunity to do so. And again, I think that mazel tov thing is a cultural thing. That didn't happen in my community. I would have thought it would have, but it didn't. So I don't know you know, where that's coming from. But we need to do some research and see where that comes from. Because I'll I, do some I more research into that. that. But there is ritual. The get process is very ritualistic. There's a whole way to give and receive a get. Okay, so there's only one part. Maybe there's two parts of the get process that I actually think are good for ritual, okay? And you're right, there is. There's that you have to write the get. It has to be done in front of witnesses, right? It has to be transferred. To extent, some of that is just the same as the civil process. And I think can be just as painful in that way, right? It's just another piece of paper you have to sign. And I would argue a lot of people probably wait until they find someone else to marry to get it taken care of. And at that point they go, oh, I forgot I had to do the get. It wasn't a priority to them, right? But they forgot they had to do it because only the civil marriage married, mattered, right? That was it. But the two points that I think that actually do help in the get process are the one, are the when the husband gives the get to the wife or the ex-wife, and then she has to hold it in her hand. She actually walks a few steps, right? Like, what's the point of walking a few steps? To me, that symbolizes that you're moving on. You're taking this information. You're now walking in your life with this information, having moved on from it. That was a really powerful moment for me, that part. 
why was it powerful for you? It was, I, I had took a while for me to get my get that was, it was, um, contentious on mm -hmm. that end. And mm -hmm. so there was this emotional buildup of really wanting to get it, feeling frustrated, angry, all, all of the feelings involved in it. And then that moment of where it was finally happening while also acknowledging the, the cycle of like the tuba. And I think I had this flash of, you know, the last time I stood with him and we wrote a contract and we stood in front of rabbis and the potential and the excitement and the opportunity and everything that I was looking forward to and the culmination of it and ending in this moment uh, for good and for bad of, you know, we tried, it didn't work and we had three great kids and the drama that we went through to get to where we were, all of that just built up and it came through in this moment of ritual, which mm. to me had a container for that. Mm. Was there any other part of it that was equally powerful to you? I don't remember. It was a while ago. It was eight years ago, but I do remember taking it in my hand and, and walking away. I don't know why in my head I think it's walking backwards. Am I making that up? I don't know. I think I just thought it was she walks a few paces. Right? It, it like could be. It could yeah. be. I don't I remember. thought there was also like the, you, you walk around the person reverse three times, like to reverse what happens when you walk around them seven times right before the chuppah. I don't remember that. We I don't think that, that really up. happens. That I don't think so. I think it's though. just walking away. Right. But the, and then that was it. You know, it's it's quick. It didn't take very long. You know, the other thing that that stands out to me. This is the second part that I, I think really matters to me is that whenever we do something of significance in our community and tradition, there have to be witnesses, and sometimes there need to be witnesses to the witnesses to testify to the credibility of those initial witnesses. But my point is to say, was it helpful for you to know that there were witnesses there? No. First of all, the witnesses were men and they weren't sure. men that I would necessarily have wanted to sure. invite into the private um, <laughs> like well, viewpoints of my life. Um, well, so let me say it this way. Would witnessing, right? Forget about witnesses, but would witnessing the act of being witnessed, right? Would that have helped? Because that's the element that I think is really crucial. Like if you were to expand the divorce process out to the community to give it communal responsibility in some way, rather than just being a private matter in front of a bait dean, because it ultimately becomes public and is part of the community anyway. You have to go back to the community. What's the point of doing it so privately? Weddings are primarily done in a communal sense. You have the option of doing them privately, but everyone does them in public because they're big celebrations. Nobody wants to do divorce things in public because they go, ew, gross, right? But or my point is to- mazel tov. Or mazel tov. But my point is to say, what would it be like if you had witnesses there, if there was a witnessing element of the divorce on behalf of the community in which, sure, there might be some people and they probably wouldn't come, right? We'd go, ew, gross. But then a lot of other people that might say, mazel tov, and we so love you and we welcome this, you. This has come up a lot with you. And I, I wonder if it's um, a reflection on your personality, your, your expectation of other people or the proximity of your divorce. But to me... I, I was, I'm thankful for the privacy of divorce. That's a very painful and vulnerable moment in my life, especially because it got a little public and a little bit dirty because of the get. And so I don't want witnesses to that. I kind of want to just like, ever, just sign it. Let's close this chapter. Let me just go into my hole for a little bit and figure my shit out. And I don't need witnesses to that experience. Like, do I want people watching me in the ugly parts of my life? I think this is part of the Facebook effect in general. We only want people knowing the good stuff that happens to us. But if we open ourselves no, up and we make each other knowing. vulnerable, it's not about I think knowing. it is about, about knowing. Yes, it is. 
Like when I have a joyous experience, I want to want to share that with everybody. I, that's the wedding. Like come yes. in and, and celebrate with me. I don't want to share my pain with everybody. I want it to be very select few people who I feel supported and and just unconditionally accepted by. But I don't right. know if I want it to be a community observational I'm experience. I'm not come saying one, some... come all. Watch me in my pain. But I'm not saying it needs to go in the synagogue bulletin and everyone needs to show up for kiddish afterwards. <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is that there are few mechanisms, right? And Jewish professionals, I don't believe, are properly trained, myself included, right, in how to help a person get through this with a sense of community. It's very easy when it happens with a wedding, right? Because it is something that you want to share and that you want to celebrate. And you're right that when you do that, it maximizes the celebration. My argument would be that well, shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. And so, Ooh. you know, you could pull in, right, who you personally want. And you have every right to do that. Maybe that's what it should be. The encouragement is build a small community of yourself. But there needs to be a mechanism within the Jewish community that helps destigmatize it, right, that says that this is something we should be doing. I think it's a different approach. I think um, hearing you talk, it's this communal, the community comes together as one in a celebration of joy. We are a group. We're going to come on mass. We all, we all come together. I think in the sharing of sorrow, it needs to be more individualistic. So I'm here for you. I see your pain. You reach out, you know, you let me know how I can help you, but not on mass. Excuse me. That's what happens with the death. And whenever we talk about it, we always talk about our obligations. This is what we are obligated to do. So too did God comfort mourners. So too are you obligated to comfort mourners. And we always rise to the obligation, no matter how uncomfortable death might be or ugly it is or reminding us of our mortality, we step up. That's what it is. Your fridge is full because everyone sees it as their responsibility to fill you with nourishment. There's not the same equivalent in divorce and there's no mechanism for it. And there's no encouragement of it either. Right? That's my point. This is the gap that I'm pointing out. It doesn't need to be a big communal celebration. What there needs to be is the emphasis on obligation. These are members of our community. We are obligated to them in divorce, just as we are obligated to them in marriage and in life and in celebration. I hear your point. And I definitely think it's conversation to be had in the community of just, I think in general, of how to be with someone in a painful experience. So, so let me suggest this then. Grief, right, is a lot like, well, in grief, we are a lot, let's say, like a four-sided box, okay? And each one of the walls on that box is really sensitive. And when grief occurs, you've, you've used this expression before, you're standing too close to the elephant, right? When grief occurs, you're just standing way too close to it to really understand. So it's like a big red ball within us, and it's touching all four sides of that box, and because grief is so frequent to us at the very beginning, it bounces around to all the sides of that wall so frequently. And so we're so sensitive, we're moving through the stages of grief. But as we get through it, and as we mourn, and as we come to accept and let go, and even celebrate, as you say, get to the mazel tov stage of grief, right? That ball gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but it still exists within us. And so from time to time, like a lot of things, it bounces around and it hits one of the sensitivities. And that could be when we're going through the motions of something that we used to do with our ex or the loved one that we've lost. Um, and it can remind us of something. And, and that's what the, the poet Judah Halevi says is painful joy, right? That like we bring up um, the memory 
And there's a little bit of joy in there as well because it happened, but then there's also the pain of it because of the loss. Um, and so in time, the rituals that we have, the things that we do to acknowledge that we've gone through these stages, that we've accepted and also been to the celebration of this new life that we have after divorce can help make that ball get smaller, even if it still remains and make it much easier to process when those experiences happen to us again in our lives and they will happen again. And the best way to do that, like we've said before, is to feed people. Yes, just put food in their stomach. Food in the fridge. What else do you think though? Like I think about smudging, right? Smudging is a great ritual just to kind of clear things out. You could smudge yourself, right? Lord knows we do that in my men's group when we're meeting in person, you just smudge it all over, right? <laughs> I you once had up. a sage stick and somebody told me that sage is intuitive and it will burn itself out when it's done. So I just left it on and didn't burn itself out. It burned the whole thing. My house <laughs> was in it. Like just, just a thick cloud of, of sage smoke for a long Bad time. Move. So it's very clean. It's a very pure house right now. I think it's okay in that way to also light a candle at certain points. Like if you're initially going through it, light the ship a candle. Do it for seven days if you're in the midst of divorce and see what that does for you. I'd be interested. I'm also curious to know if like things like Tashlich or Bidikat Chameitz and Biwer Chameitz could also be really good knowing I that. I think a lot of people burn their shit after divorce, so. That's my point. Burn your <laughs> shit, right? Let it go. Cast it off into the river and watch it float down the stream of life. Right, just take the crumbs in your hand and let them go. What else do you think you could do? Is there any type of art therapy that would be really helpful for people? I mean, speaking to what you're speaking to is find community then. If if there's shared sorrow is half sorrow, I really like the way you said that, then look for support, look for community, look for people who have gone through similar experiences. And there's plenty of, of, of divorce support groups out there. I mean, yes, art as well. Um, but it, to acknowledge the, the grief, if you want to sit in grief for a little bit, then a good way to do that is to find community that understands. Sitting in grief can actually be really helpful, but we shouldn't, um, I don't think it's really helpful to kind of remain in grief. I think that's the diff most difficult thing. Um, you can't just kind of sit around and expect that grief is just gonna be a healthy thing for you. And I, like, I'm all for sitting in the emotions, but like, you can't just, um, stay in that the whole time. It's, it's just not healthy. I'm looking well, for a poem right now, actually. That's but what the stages of grief. The stages imply movement and progression. Right. I'm looking for poetry. Uh, yeah, there's a, a great poem that I also share. Um, it's called Tis a Fearful Thing. It's attributed to Judah Halevi. And maybe this will be a good way to, to end. Um, but tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch. A fearful thing to love to hope, to dream, to be, to be an O to lose. A thing for fools this, and a holy thing, a holy thing to love. For your life has lived in me, your laugh once lifted me, your word was gift to me. To remember this brings painful joy. It's a human thing, love, and a holy thing, to love what death can touch. To love what death can touch. Mm. Have a great Tuesday, everyone. <laughs> okay. All righty. Hey, friends, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have a story 
on grief and mourning in divorce. We'd love to hear it. Please share it with us. You can send it to the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com. As always, you can find us on the web at the Jewish Divorce Project.com. And you can find us on social media at the Jewish Divorce Project on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for checking us out and have a great day. Mm-hmm.